Welcome to the We Date Modern podcast, a fresh approach to modern dating with clarity and confidence. I'm Chanel Dokun, a relationship expert trained in marriage and family therapy. Each week on the podcast, I'll be hosting a somewhat irreverent conversation about love, sex, and marriage from a Christian perspective. I believe healthy relationships are possible, but we have to create them together. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we're diving right in with one of my favorite topics, sex and the church. We'll be joined by Pastor Brandon Watts of Epiphany Church in Brooklyn. Now listen, I love talking about sex. It is one of my favorite things because as a counselor, I get to see Christian clients and I get to be very explicit about things that relate to sex. You know, the rest of the world talks about sex all the time, but for some reason, Christians often feel like we can't talk about it, like it's taboo or off limits. But you know what? God created sex, and so it's kind of our thing. So today we're going to go there because I know so many of our listeners are asking questions about how to reconcile their faith with their desires for sexual intimacy. And so if you're one of those people who's been asking those questions, this episode is for you. Also, if something sparks for you while you're listening to this episode and you'd like to host a conversation in your own community about sex and faith, I would love to come and facilitate that for you or give a talk on modern sexuality. In fact, I'm doing that this weekend for Trinity Grace Church in Williamsburg. Just shoot me an email at info at wedatemodern.com and we can talk about how to arrange that for you. Well, without further ado, let's dive right in. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Chanel, it is a honor to be with you and to talk with your We Date Modern listeners. I'm so excited. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I have to say, um, just as a little kind of personal note, as well as why I wanted you to be on this podcast is, you know, I've been living in New York City for about 11 or 12 years. I was a part of one church, uh, very committed to that church for about 10 or 11 years, and just recently transitioned to Epiphany. And this church has so blessed me, and your ministry has blessed me. And I think that one of the things that I was drawn to about being a part of this church under your leadership, but as well as just what the whole community is about, is the attentiveness to God's word and the reliance primarily on what does Jesus say, mm-hmm. right? We don't have to add a bunch of other stuff. It's mm-hmm. like the simplicity of faith has been really beautiful for somebody that you know has been in ministry for a long time, mm-hmm. worked on a church staff and all of that. So I just, yeah. I really wanted to bring that That's to cool. our listeners because I think they're asking a lot of questions about dating yeah. that can get complicated. Sure. They can get in their head about it. And I wanted somebody that was going to be able just to say like, like this is what the scripture says. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is what God says. So... Yeah. Let's just take that and figure out what the implications might be for our life. But let me me just say as well, uh, thank you for saying that's very encouraging to hear your connection to the church and how the church has impacted you and your your beautiful family as well. Um, That's really encouraging to hear. Oftentimes as a pastor, uh, you you typically, uh, we're kind of like the people in the sound booth where you notice them only when something goes wrong. But you really don't notice them if everything's going okay. And just to hear that, it, that's very encouraging. So I'm grateful. We're also very delighted to have you guys as well. You guys have been uh, a blessing to uh, the church already. And I'm looking forward to future uh, engagement. So Yeah. Well, we're going to be diving into kind of the, uh, the heavy-hitting topics today. I say, you know, it's a Brooklyn church, Brooklyn pastor. We go hard. We don't mess around. So we're going to talk right. about some tough stuff today That's right. in terms of sexual intimacy. Um, but before we get there, 
I wanted to introduce you a little bit more in terms of getting some background for you, yeah. from you, for our listeners. Um, why don't you tell us, you're married, you have kids. Yeah. Um, his wife, you guys can't see her, but she is gorgeous Aww. and just both inside and out, truly an amazing woman of God. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you met her? Yeah, uh, you uh, hit it on the head. She, uh, My wife is amazing. I've been married to my wife now. We just made 16 years wow. uh, last month. Yeah, August 3rd. Uh, so been married to Ty for 16 years. We also have two boys. Brandon is my oldest. He's 15. And my youngest is Jeremy. He's about to be 13 in a couple months. And so I'm about to have two teenagers. <laughs> so uh, life has changed in uh, in our family and how we interact with our, our boys. Uh, how we did it when they were toddlers is a lot different than them being teenagers, particularly teenagers now running Brooklyn streets. Yes. You know, so uh, met Ty in 2000, and um, I met her because she was in a wedding party of a mutual friend. I knew the groom, uh, and she was in the party, the wedding party. And uh, so someone introduced us, and man, from the first moment I saw her, uh, I just, you know, people say this, but I genuinely say it. Like, I just knew, like, this was it. <laughs> like, you know, I, this is obtaining favor right here. And um, and we talked at the wedding. Someone introduced us. We talked. And we exchanged information. And that was a Saturday. That Monday, I called her. And, uh, and from there, we just, uh, I don't know, we just hit it off. We went on a date the next week. And... Uh, we it, we progressed pretty quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, even our family, I think, was pushing against how fast we connected. I was 22 when, well, I was 19 when we met. I was 22 when we got married. Wow, okay. So it was really, really quick, uh, which I don't often, I don't often encourage. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord was really, really gracious with us. Uh, but, yeah, we, we've been married for some time now. I think we are more committed and in love than we've ever been now. Uh, and there's various reasons for that. We we spend a lot of time just working on our marriage and take it very serious because it does take a lot of work, as you would know. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. Well, I just want to highlight a couple of things that I think I didn't know about your story, but I think are a bit insane. You mentioned she was in a bridal party, which yeah. for some of our listeners, um, they're always a bridesmaid, never a bride. So they, f- they feel that. So ladies, <laughs> hold out hope. It might happen. Um, and also, uh, you got her number, yeah. like in real life. I know. And then you called her, yeah. like days later. Yeah. Yeah, it, and which is interesting because I think times have changed now. Sure. I'm, I'm 38 now, and... Um, now they have this thing that they, I don't know if you've ever heard this term, Chanel, where they slid into her DMs. <laughs> yes. That's like a thing now. I mean, I a lot of premarital counseling I do, a lot of young people are saying, I'm like, man, how did you meet? Well, he DM'd me. He messaged me. I'm like, wow, that's just... Which also, I think, uh, can speak to some bigger issues, which is why a lot of times I think we have a hard time communicating within marriage is because the marriage didn't even start out as a communication it started yes. out through a and it, it's so many factors in that even if you can if you consider um line dancing which is a big thing now the wobble and the electric slide which has always been but um there's a lot more line dancing now that stops you from having to walk, go, walk across the room and say to a young lady will you dance with me we no longer do that because we don't dance with each other we're in isolation and so I, I know this is a more carnal and non-biblical <laughs> uh, viewpoint to uh, to interacting and meeting 
but I think you know it, it really impacts social skills within the marriage as well. But yeah, I had to ask her for her number and. I had to meet her parents and get their blessing. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I miss those days. I think we, you know, still need to hold on to some of that. I absolutely agree. I mean, I always say that, you know, we need healthy dating if we're going to have healthy marriages. And those habits and trends that you start um, in that time when you're single, even just, you know, as a single person, not even dating, uh however you're interacting in relationship, you're going to, you don't suddenly transform because someone slips a ring on your finger. Um, if anything, it only gets magnified because you can't get away from the person. So, uh, so it is so important to uh, consider what is my approach even to pursuing relationship Mm -hmm. and how might that set up what it's like to pursue my spouse later. Um, so I love that. Um, well, let's dive in. Let's do it. Let's talk about sex. Let's go there. Okay. Um, one of the reasons, like I said, that I brought you on is because um, I love the simplicity of how, and I don't mean simple as in not eloquent, but simple as in straightforward and clear sure. um, with uh, how you present the gospel and present uh, Jesus' words. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was really surprised by is that you also carved out space earlier in the year for a special kind of event called Sex Rewired. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that event was and, yeah. and what kind of prompted you to do it? Yeah, yeah. we called it Sex Rewired. We actually add, added a, a little bit of a, a hashtag to it. So it was Sex Rewired Volume 1. Mm. And the reason we had to put Volume 1 is because we knew that that night was going to be just a comma to the conversation, not really a period. And the reason we have to say that is because uh, the topic in and of itself is so complex. Our church, um, we're 93% millennial. Our, our average age is 24. And uh, that's what they're talking about. That's what they're dealing with. That's what music they're listening to. That's you know you the what they're watching on TV they're insecure or whatever hit show that they're watching they're interacting with um, heavily saturated what I would say is a perversion of biblical sexuality mm-hmm. and so uh, I've started to pick up when I was doing some counseling and just interacting with some of the young people here at our church I quickly started to pick up that um, there was a desire to talk more about it and a desire to try to apply scripture to it. And a lot of times, some of the stuff that I thought was just like, yeah, I mean, everybody knows that this is what how biblical sexuality works. I realized that that's not the case. And mm-hmm. so I made a lot of assumptions. And when I was in conversations or in counseling, I realized, man, we, we probably need to start at ground zero with this idea of sex. How, how was it... Um, why did God give us this idea of sex? Why did God create our bodies the way he created our bodies? And so Sex Rewired was an attempt to try to address some of the questions I was getting. And I was answering them in private settings that I thought it would be good to talk about them in public spaces. And so, um, but here's the, the caution, Chanel, with getting a room full of young people together to talk about sex. Okay. The caution is I know that everyone is coming in with so many different worldviews, and I know someone's come. It's, everyone's coming in with different backgrounds to sexuality. Me personally, if I can just be honest, I was introduced to 
um, to porn at the age of nine. Mm. Now, now you just consider that a nine-year-old. My boys are 15 and, and about to be 13. Wow. So I cannot imagine that. Found my, and I, I mentioned this at Sex Rewired, yeah. found my, uh, my, my brother's magazines up under his bed. And uh, that was my introduction. So my introduction to sex, uh, sex and sexuality wasn't from a biblical standpoint, even though my parents were Christians. Uh, it, when they finally did talk to me about it, I'm like, oh, I saw the magazines. I already know all about it. And so I think a lot of people have had that experience that they've been introduced to it really young and they've been introduced to it in unhealthy ways. And so Sex Rewired, again, is an attempt to try to rewire some of our thinking as it relates to sex. We're actually going to do another one. We were thinking about doing this fall, but we actually had to push it to spring. Mm. So we'll be doing another one in the spring of next year and probably yeah, I'd love to get your help on some of this. Uh, try to get some more thoughts and thinkers on the topic. Uh, but at the end of the day, we really want to root it all back to Scripture uh, and uh, see what the Lord has to say about it. That's amazing. I mean, I, I'm so glad that you offered that. And I think that you're right that we so much of what we believe about sex has not actually been informed by Scripture, yeah. not at all by our faith. Mm. Most of us receive our first sexual messages in whatever form. I mean, nine years old, my goodness. Yeah. Um, my son's three, so I'm just thinking like, man, I mean, yeah. that's not that far away. Yeah. Um, so most of us do. I mean, and I think your story is not unique in that sense, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That most of us do learn about sex um, outside of the church. Yeah. And so it is so important that we bring this in earlier. I mean, I know not to go completely off topic, but I, you know, I've done a lot of counseling for married couples that have kids and talking about how do you actually talk to your children about sex mm -hmm. much earlier than they think that they need to. Yeah. Um, when they are four, five, six years old and starting to introduce those early sexual messages because the world is ready and willing oh, to yeah. tell you all about it. Yeah. Um, why do you think we are afraid, and maybe that's a presumptuous question, um, but why do you think we are a little bit afraid to or hesitant maybe to talk about sex more openly within the church why aren't we the first people kind of giving that message yeah i don't i don't know uh and, and i hate to i hate to lead by saying i don't know i'm not really 100 percent sure why historically the, sure. the church hasn't addressed this topic i think uh so let me give my experience and i grew up in church and i've been to, my father was in the military so we bounced around quite a bit and Everywhere we went, we always plugged into a community. My, my parents just made sure of that. And most of my experience, there was one church I went to. I, I remember the only time we talked about sex was when they actually, uh, this is going to get really explicit, but you said we can go there. But they pulled out a banana, put a condom on the banana, and showed you how to put a condom on. Mm. That was our introduction wow. in conversation. <laughs> to, now, that actually wasn't a church that I was a part of. I, I went to a retreat with a friend's church. Um, but that's, I mean, there, there was no, I mean, that's how they introduced it and talked about it. Of If you're going to do it, we know you're going to do it. Let's just be safe about it. And, or the opposite, which was my experience with churches where it's saying sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then you get married and a lot of times married couples then have a hard time trying to understand and relate to sexual intimacy with their, uh, with their spouse because I was told it was bad all my life. So how do you turn that off? It's bad, 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 bad. Oh, you're married. It's good. Well, I have issues now because I was taught it was bad. So one of the things that I think our churches have to do better at is 
speaking on the topic as a positive. Uh, Chanel, I'm not sure what service you were in on Sunday, but one of the things I mentioned in one of the services that I didn't say in all three um, was the idea of Genesis 1.28 where uh, the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. And that's the first mention of sex in scripture, but that was a positive one. That wasn't negative, but yet we present it as it's negative. So I, I remember that I had the conversation with my boys, both of them, I had it really early. I kind of leaned on the idea I'd rather be early and then be fully not understanding and then have conversations later than be too late. Mm. As I had the conversation too late, even with my parents had good intentions, by the time they talked to me about it, I was already, I mean, fully immersed in what it was and right. what it wasn't. And so I think that, you know, the church has, has to do better at communicating it consistently, but also putting it in a positive light and then showing how we've perverted it. And we have perverted it. in the scriptures. I mean, if you want to talk about homosexuality, the scriptures are talking about homosexuality. You want to talk about, uh, and I don't want to identify a homosexual as their identity, especially if they're a believer. Your identity is Christ and Christ alone. And so these desires and these, the lust that you have, uh, we need to talk about how that is perverted. Now, here's where I think, our church leaned on when it came to sex rewired and why we would try to be explicit in that conversation. Uh, not only did we want to present it as a positive and then we want to present it as um, how it's been perverted, but we thought that it was important to show Genesis 3 that it was perverted because of the fall. And so if we consider that every aspect of creation has now been distorted sexuality has been distorted and so a lot of stuff that we think is natural uh really isn't natural we, we've just taken a good thing and just made it bad just like we do with money and our time and whatever else and so mm -hmm. uh that that's one of the reasons why i think our church just wanted to be explicit in the conversation and why i would encourage other churches to because if you're not having the conversation they're having it somewhere i would just rather be the loudest voice i know i can't silence the other voices you know, our young people here. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Um, and I love the way that you approach it both within your own family and how you're kind of as, you know, I guess a father of our church here, um, you know, kind of parenting and stewarding us in that way. Um, tell me a little bit about that night. And maybe this doesn't have to only be related to that event, but um, in maybe some of your counseling offline and things like that, what do you feel like are the top areas of dysfunction or um, kind of questions or, or concerns that you see people bringing in when they're asking about sex or they're asking about dating, maybe even outside of sexual intimacy? Yeah, I think the, the, the top thing that just popped in my mind um, has to do with, I think, the LGBT community uh, or LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that popped in my mind is because I've had uh, many, many, many conversations with uh, people who are a part of our church or attenders of our church or are members that uh, have had sexual uh, desires that are same sex or even acted on those desires. And um, we've become the place where, uh, which I think it's important that we, that we uh, not just welcome but love them um, because at least some of the questions I've been getting has been fear of connecting with the church because historically the church hasn't dealt with them well. Mm. Uh, and I have family members who uh, would consider themselves as 
part of this LGBT community. And so I think, to me, when you said it, that's the first thing that popped into mind. And the reason it, it uh, it's important for the church to engage in that, especially if people have had bad experiences with it, is because most most of the time when it comes to the LGBT community, I, not all churches, but most African-American churches, African-American-led churches, let me say that, have leaned on this idea, oh, it's easy, just stop being a homosexual and the cure is to be a heterosexual. The problem with that is heterosexuals have sin as well. <laughs> what? And, and yeah, but, you know, there's this idea, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, get delivered model where uh, someone comes to the altar, we lay hands on and we say, you're healed and they walk out as as though um as though that climactic moment changed the trajectory of their life and then they walk out and they still have the thoughts and the struggles and and so we one of the things i've tried to do with that specific topic is lead through relationship like i want them to feel like man i i love you and i want to challenge you just like i would challenge a young man that's sitting across from me that has the opposite sex sex attractions that he's acting on. And I want to treat them the same way. Unfortunately, they've been treated as their sin is greater than the other. So I think that's probably the most prevalent. Uh, the other thing I, I would say, and I'll say this one a lot quicker because I know we have some more questions you want to get to. Um, but unfortunately, as you said, my experience of being introduced to uh, pornography at the age of nine isn't taboo. It is very normal. A lot of young men... I would say young ladies as well, but some of the young men I encounter with have deep struggles with it and have had struggles with pornography for a long time. And some of those men are now married and still struggle, even within their marriage. And so, um, man, I talk about it and I, I don't shy away from it in, in, on Sunday morning in our sermons. If that's where the, the, the text is leading, I think it's important to go there. Uh, but I, I've just noticed this, this trend of, and some of it is just self-fulfillment especially with the young ladies. I've noticed that young ladies are like, well, I go there in terms of masturbation because I don't want anybody to ever feel like they have control over my body. I have control over my own body. Again, a perversion of, um, of, of scripture. There's a scripture in, um, in Proverbs, or maybe it's Ecclesiastes, where it says, how can someone carry fire next to their chest and not get burned? Mm. And there's, there's this idea where we play with our sexual thoughts and perversion of porn and uh, unhealthy lust. Really what you're doing is you're carrying fire next to your chest. And according to the scripture, at some point, it's, it's just bound to burn you. But we think that like we have some type of ins fire insurance with the Lord that every time we get burned, he's just going to... And uh, of course, there's grace. But we, you know, we need to start walking in more obedience with what the scripture says about uh, about sexuality, which is why I think it's important for us to talk about it. I know that was a lot and a long no, answer. No, so I'm sorry. No, it was an excellent answer. It was an excellent answer. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I wanted to uh, piggyback on uh, what you were saying about the pornography issue. Um, I. I really just want to thank you for bringing that up as both an issue that men struggle with as well as women. I feel mm. like in the church, it can often be cast as a male mm. sin, right? Mm. And I think a lot of women are, um, they kind of like avert their eyes, like, oh, that's not, I'm not allowed to say that that's a struggle for me, mm. right? And so wow. I usually see those women in counseling. Wow. Wow. Um, and I think that what's interesting about pornography is that 
uh, it has so perverted what sex means, yes, for men, but also for women in terms of what they believe about themselves, what they believe about their own sexuality. And I love the gospel. I love um, the word because I think it does give a beautiful honor to women um, in our identity, us enjoying sex mm-hmm. um, and it being meant for you know our pleasure as well. Whereas I think a lot of pornography still casts it as kind of this male, um, it's it's for a man's pleasure. Sure. And so it's interesting even when I you know meet with these women who are who are using pornography in whatever form, it's um, it's this dual thing of uh, it's a place of freedom for me and I can do whatever I want and take yeah. control of my sexuality yeah. and also place myself in bondage to this idea that yeah. I exist for someone else's yeah. pleasure. It's yeah. um, good. So it's very interesting. Um, well, one idea that you mentioned in the Sex Rewired talk that I just kind of held on to that I want to give you a, a chance to, to share with our listeners is this idea of approaching sex with the mentality of it being gospel-centered. And so yeah. what does gospel-centered sex mean? Yeah, gospel-centered sex, um, in order to understand gospel-centered sex, uh, one would have to understand the, the, what the gospel is. And so if I had to say, if you ask me, sum up the gospel in one word, Mm -hmm. I would say sacrifice, right? Because that's what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins. He didn't have to, um, but yet he does. It's sacrificial. It's it's even him uh, saying in John chapter 10, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then he goes on to say, and give his life sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So if I I sum up the gospel with sacrifice, so if I sum up gospel-centered sex, gospel-centered sex within marriage should be sacrificial sex. So unfortunately, we've come, and I, I think, you know, this, again, this is, goes back to this idea of sex being perverted and us just being selfish, it's just outside of sexuality. I think most people will be, if they're really honest, we're really selfish to the core. And so when it comes to, uh, to sex, a lot of times our mentality is selfish. Sex is just for my pleasure. But in reality, if you if you switch it and say, man, okay, gospel, the gospel says I must be sacrificial in all areas of life. This area, which is an intimacy between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, how can I be sacrificial in this area? Well, here's how I can be sacrificial. My goal is to make sure that I'm not getting full pleasure, but that my spouse is getting full pleasure. And if she has that same mentality... Um, that's fruitful sex right there. And that's how sex was designed, for us to be sacrificial in it so that, uh, so that of course, pleasure is happening. Uh, however, it's not pleasure that you're just seeking for yourself, but that you're seeking for someone else. And I try to live that, not just with sex, across the board. What does that, uh, Unfortunately, if I can be honest, there are times when I have conversations with people and I meet them for the first time, and they'll say their name is whatever, Brad. And when they say Brad, I'm so selfish, I heard Brandon. Mm. You know what I mean? Or um, in, in the midst of them telling me something you know, really profound that's on their heart, I'm already thinking about my response. It's just selfishness uh, digs so deep down into us that it, it, it just runs rampant in all parts of our life, which including sex. Let me just say one more scripture and then I'll... I want to hear your thoughts on it more <laughs> than just another question. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea of gospel-centered sex. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Christ came to die for those uh, that they may not, no longer live for themselves. At the root of what Paul was saying was 
that at the very core of humanity is this I, this idea of being selfish, that they may no longer live. Christ died for you so that you won't live for you. Mm. So that you'll live for him and a reflection of him and his bride is marriage. So what would it look like for us to just go through the marriage, not just sacrificial in, man, I, I want your needs and your wants, but when it comes to sex, I really want your needs and your wants. I promise last thing. <laughs> then this idea of submission as it relates to sexuality and sacrifice. Um, I think we would agree that scripture is very clear that the husband is the head uh, of the home. And so then there's this idea, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, that submission should take place. And I don't think submission is a uh, husband being an ogre saying this is what you do. Um, the only time I see in scripture that a man does not have authority is through sex because the Bible says that his body isn't his own, that it's his wife. So that means sacrificial sex really means that you must be in submission to your wife. Mm. And we don't think like that. We, we again, we, we approach sex as, man, it's been a long day. I just want to have pleasure. And if you do that, I think you'll, you'll frustrate the marriage, you'll frustrate uh, sexuality within the marriage. And at the end of the day, you're perverting what God made pure and good. Wow. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, that is, that is so beautiful. And I think it's something that um, is desirable. And the, the immediate thought that kind of popped in my mind as you described gospel-centered sex was the importance of marriage, right? Mm. Um, I think that a lot of our listeners sometimes go, you know, is sex really even a big deal, mm. right? Like, I'm having sex. It's, you know, it's not even that big of a deal, Chanel. Like, I'm just... I'm sleeping with people, whatever. Um, And I think it's impossible to experience that level of self-sacrifice if you don't have the security of an institution like marriage and that Mm. kind of commitment and covenant supporting you. Because I don't want to give myself and be fully focused on my husband's needs or this other guy's needs unless he's also signed up to do that for me in every area of my life. That's good. Right? And so I think that's why something like just hooking up with that guy that, you know, you swiped, <laughs> you know, yeah. last night, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's not as meaningful. It's actually not that deep. Mm. Um, and it doesn't make sense to try to engage in that kind of um, interaction with someone that you don't have that bond with. Um, I mentioned this to Brandon a little bit earlier, but when I do premarital counseling, uh, spend a lot of time talking to couples about sexual intimacy, trying to demystify and prepare them a little bit. Some of the couples I work with have had sex before, some have not. Mm. And one of the things we always talk about is um, this little line that I grabbed from Tim Keller that I love. He talks about sex as being a covenant renewal ceremony. And I just like, I love that idea because to me, it's like, oh, that's what this is about. Like it's about sacrifice, absolutely. It's about submission, it's about pleasure. But every time we engage in this thing, we are renewing this covenant that we've made to one another Mm. and a covenant that we've made before God to say that, you know, you are the head of this marriage. Um, I had an old pastor that used to tell us, uh, he's like, you haven't experienced true sex until you're able to pray during sex. Mm. Now, I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. So I'm working on it, everybody. But um, I love, you know, where his heart was coming from of 
this is something that is absolutely meant to be a demonstration of the gospel um, and absolutely meant to be something that God can look at and see and say that it's good. Yeah. You know, so I don't know what you're doing when you're out there having sex, yeah. but if God's not able to look at it and say this is good, yeah. maybe you should ask him questions. Yeah. I actually know a couple uh, that um, Ty and I are good friends with that do pray before they have sex hmm. uh, every time. And I know I know another couple that, I mean, even have a, a time of genuine worship where they put music on, they worship before they have sex. And so, you know, uh, that's definitely, I would say, is a, is a, is a, it's an appropriate thing depending on, you know, if that's what helps for you. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the idea, I think the root of gospel-centered sex doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you have to pray before. I think it means that, I mean, we, we should never move far away from a prayer, right? So right. We, we should always be in that mode of prayer. But this idea of, man, God has created and acknowledging exactly what you said, which I agree with, acknowledging that it is, is good and God is after uh, the pleasure that is brought within it and the intimacy and the covenant renewal. Like that, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't want to just give that away to anybody. I want to do that in a safe place with someone I'm committed to for life. Absolutely. It's good. Well, we're going to wrap up. This is, I could talk to you for hours, so <laughs> I have to stop somewhere, everyone. I'm sure you're listening and thinking like, no, keep going. Um, but if you can just leave us, is there anything that you would say to some of the singles that are listening, uh, people who are kind of trying to wrestle with sex or wrestle with dating, um, any tips that you'd like to share just uh, or thought or framing for them of how to approach it from a healthy perspective? Man, I, I would say get around some, some other uh, Christian believers, I think, and, and I wouldn't just say marriages. I think you 100% need to get around some good, healthy marriages that uh, that love the Lord, are honest with their, their, uh, their shortcomings and their mistakes. But I, I would also say get around some, if you're single, get around some uh, some singles that are pursuing sexual purity. And, and what does that look like? And sexual purity doesn't mean I'm just a virgin. Right. Or it doesn't mean I'm just not having sex. It means you're, you're thinking the thoughts that God has. You're taking, as First Corinthians 10 says, you're taking captive those negative thoughts and you're being honest when they're there. And you, you need to get around that for a few reasons, for accountability purposes, uh, but also, you know, just for a model of what, um, someone modeling of what sexual purity is. I like this idea of group dating. I just do. I kind of mentioned it in um, in one of our, our services. This idea where um, where multiple people are are a part of this relationship in terms of in terms of let me clarify that are part of the relationship in terms of they know about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we've we've dated and we've experienced that here a lot, where people date in isolation. Uh, because they don't want anybody to be in the business of that relationship. They don't want anybody to judge that relationship. And I just think it's an error. I just think it's putting too much confidence in, in you. And in reality, uh, this idea of allowing others to be involved in the process, allowing others to know the opposite person, especially if they don't go, they aren't part of, the, of your local community. You, you want to bring them around so that other people can eyeball them. I love this idea for young ladies, uh, in both both men and women, but Unfortunately, I, I've seen too many young ladies date, date in isolation, and I think it's always important to bring the guy that you're interested in, which is a that's a good thing. Bring that person around, 
whoever your community is, whoever you're in relationship with, bring them around so other brothers can look at them. And the same thing for uh, the opposite. I think you just have to bring them around. And, and also, just take this idea of group dating uh, and man, the term in of itself sounds a little weird. I don't mean. <laughs> I know group... we live in the age of polyamory and all of exactly. that. So every time you say it, I'm like, mm. <laughs> let, let me let me explain what I mean by group dating. If if a young man and a young woman, let's just say they are both part of the a, a local church, a young man and a young woman are interested. I think that the community needs to know that you're dating, right? With the community that you're involved in needs to be a part of that. Now, here's what happens. I think. To stop young men and young women from dating multiple people within the church, if you go on a group date with a bunch of people and y'all just hanging out as friends, you're getting to know that person without actually having the pressure of sitting down one-on-one -on -one with that person. And so if you're not interested, which happens, if you're not mm -hmm. interested, man, we just hung out with some friends. But the problem is we've, we've dated uh, in isolation and then we've said man I'm not interested and then we've done it to someone else and now what you're causing in the church is contention and you're causing uh, tension in and of itself instead of having this model of man I'm going to let other people in so that they know what's happening and then they can hold us accountable as we're walking towards this idea of pursuing oneness in marriage mm -hmm. while we're dating man let's get others involved yes does that make sense no it absolutely does make sense and I would add to that uh to lower the expectations for that first date, right? Uh, because part of that idea of that group date is, hey, we can just hang out. Like, it's okay for me just to say, I think you're an interesting person. Yeah. Let's go see if there's any chemistry. Yeah. So often, I think, especially this comes from the female side, but we'll go into that first date like we're about to get married, yeah. you know? And so you're when you do bring other people in, it's mm -hmm. like, girl, I'm about, you know, I just found my man. Like, mm -hmm. this is about to happen. Mm -hmm. And... And I think the discouragement that you feel, the pressure that men often feel of like, I don't want to tell anybody because I don't even know if I like this girl yeah. to be like, I don't want to broadcast it to the church just in case like that ruins all my other opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think it's very different when we set up the constraints around that time together just to say like, let's spend 30 minutes and let's go grab coffee. Yeah, like, let good. me just get to know you. That's good. And if, if it doesn't work out, that's actually no criticism of you. Yeah. It has nothing to do with your value or mm -hmm. worth. It's just to say like, we don't fit. That's good. And go find a man that fits with you. Yeah. Right. That's for your benefit. Yeah. So that's good. I love that. And I think that's really, really helpful. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, one thing that, really was triggered for me as you talked about that level of accountability is that we have the We Date Modern Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes, you know, airing your business online is not where everybody wants to go. But if you are struggling, like you don't have a community around you that can be supportive or that's trying to run this race in the same way that you're trying to, um, know that you can join that. We welcome you. Um, we want to be a source of encouragement and support for you and a place where you can just be honest and say, you know, you don't have to go into all your business, but say, you know, ladies, I'm having a hard time today. Um, or last night was really rough and messed with my head. I don't, I don't know if I'm in it still. And so mm. we want to be there to support you and just bring you back to uh, God's word and uh, pray for you, support you as much as we can. So thank you, Pastor Brandon. Thank you. Um, it's been such a blessing and we'll see you all next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, We Date Modern is a conversation and we value your voice. So add yours at wedatemodern.com or shoot us an email at info at wedatemodern.com.